it's the biggest thing going on in Duluth each year. And uh, it's just kind of a, a great small town marathon that I always want to be a part of. So I figured out that you know, maybe I can still run the marathon, but get in the 50 mile training run that I needed to get in by uh, getting up at two in the morning, have my wife drop me off at the finish line at 3 a.m., run up the North Shore up to two, uh, two harbors, and then uh, turn around with the rest of the marathoners and come back to Duluth and finish the race and get in 52.4 miles. And it, it's, uh, you know, the first year is a little bit weird uh, because you're out there at, you know, 2.33 in the morning in downtown Duluth, um, and all that's out is uh, people that have filed off from the bars. And so you start running, and they see that you got your bib number on, and they start yelling at you uh, with very slurred language. You're going the wrong way, or you're doing great, dude. You know, it was, and it, they were they were a lot of fun. And then uh, really enjoyed watching the race course uh, wake up. You know, all the aid stations being set up, and then the sun rising over Lake Superior it just turned out to be kind of a transformational experience and something that uh, turned out to be a great way to get a 50 mile training run in and something I decided I'd just do as long as I was gonna run the Leadville 100. So I've done it every year since uh, I Will Dare by The Replacements. That's kind of covers the theme of today's show. Welcome to Twin Towns Trail Talk. Uh, we haven't had an episode in a while. Um, things have been happening in my life. I haven't had a new episode, but this is the first episode of Season 2. Thank you for joining me. I have a great guest today. I'm going to get to him right away, um, Eric Strand. Uh, he's done. He's speaking of I Will Dare. He's dared and done some crazy runs He's run the Duluth Grandma's Marathon uh, twice in a row. He starts at the finish line, runs to the start, and then when everybody else is ready to start, he goes and runs the regular marathon with them. So he runs it twice in a row. So we're going to talk about that. Um, that opening song uh, was I Will Dare by The Replacements, and that's kind of today's theme. I just Usually I review a running book or an endurance book right here. I have a rock book called The Lost Boys I'm going to review today. And today's theme, it's about the replacements, the group. Now, there was a time when people used to argue who's going to be bigger, R.E.M. or the replacements. Um, everybody can name five R.E.M. songs. I don't think everybody can name five replacement songs, so we know who won that battle. But I, I dare you to play five uh, R.E.M. songs, five replacement songs, same quality. Um, what's the difference? The Replacements, what this book's all about, it's read by Mary Lachia. She's a famous radio DJ here for The Current in the Twin Cities, which is one of the best, always voted one of the best radio stations in the country. She also, she's got a great voice. She also happens to be the sister of Paul Westerberg, the lead singer of The Replacements. And the deal with The Replacements are 
they were going to be big. You know, people arguing who's going to be bigger, them or REM. The replacements, they would do things like they would self-sabotage. They would burn their uh, per diem money, just burn it up, and then they would have no money. Um, they took all their master tapes and threw them in the Mississippi River. That's a famous story. Uh, they they couldn't even do that right. They didn't grab the master tapes. They grabbed the tapes below them. Um, then they would have some big, famous record producers. They would come to meet them, and as soon as the guy would show up, they would spray paint them or wrap them in saran wrap and cover them with cornstarch, and the record producers would come running out of there screaming, saying, I never want to see these guys again. Um, they finally got their big chance to go on Saturday Night Live, and he screamed the, uh, Paul Westerberg screamed the F word. Uh, if you go back and watch it on YouTube, I don't know what the big deal is. I know he's going to say it because that's why I'm watching, and I still can barely hear him say it. But for whatever reason, they were black. They got so mad at him at Saturday Night Live, they were blackballed from being on TV, and that was pretty much it. They were done from there on. Um, then Paul Westerberg went, started going to a psychiatrist or a therapist because he was um, feeling depressed, and he was telling his therapist, you know, this grunge movement, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, all these groups are getting famous off our sound. And, you know, we invented the sound, and they're getting famous off us, and we never got famous. His therapist is like, whoa, this guy has more bigger trouble than, uh, than depression. This guy's got illusions of grandeur. What is he talking about? His therapist went and studied it and researched it, and he's like, oh, my God, everything he says, he's 100% he's telling the truth. Um, these guys are getting rich off his sound that he invented. But anyway, so that's kind of what today's show is about is like, how, are you getting in your own way? Are you blocking yourself from reaching your true potential? Um, I tell you one person that isn't is Eric Strand. He uh, tells a great story here about uh, when he went running when he was, knew he was injured. So let's get right to it. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this story as much as I do. Here's Eric Strand. Thank you. So, like, I just had some questions, so, like, I'm going to ask you the question here, and, I, and I'm sure this is the question you get asked a million times, so you're, I'm, I'm sure you hate hearing it, but I'm just going to get it out of the way. Why, you ran the Duluth Marathon uh, back to front and then front to back, so you ran it twice in a row. Why would you do such a thing like that, Al? Yeah, well, so, yeah, it was kind of weird, but um, there was some method behind the madness. I guess going way back, I actually ran my first marathon in uh, at Grandma's in 2000, and it always had been kind of a bucket list item, and finally got around to doing it, and thought it would just be one and done, but then came back the next year, and the next year, and the next year, so I've run every Grandma's marathon since 2000, and I started getting into ultramarathons and then planned to run the Leadville 100 out in Leadville, Colorado in uh, 2012. And I really needed a 15-mile training run on the weekend that the Grandma's Marathon was scheduled. And so I thought, I want to keep my streak going because I love running Grandma's. I mean, it, Grandma's is a great experience. The whole town turns out with the volunteers and the crowds. I mean, it's the biggest thing going on in Duluth each year. And uh, it's just kind of a a great small town marathon that I always want to be a part of. So I figured out that, you know, maybe I can still run the marathon, but get in the 50 mile training run that I needed to get in by uh, getting up at two in the morning, have my wife drop me off at the finish line at 3 a.m., run up the North shore up to, to uh, two harbors and then uh, turn around with the rest of the marathoners and come back to Duluth and finish the race and get in 52.4 miles and it, it's, uh, you know, the first year is a little bit weird uh, because 
you're out there at you know two thirty three in the morning in downtown Duluth, um, and all that's out is uh, people that have filed out from the bars, and so you start running and they see that you got your bib number on and they start yelling at you uh, with very slurred language. You're going the wrong way. Are you doing great, dude? You know, it was, and it, they were, they were a lot of fun. And then uh, really enjoyed watching the race course uh, wake up, you know, all the aid stations being set up and then the sun rising over Lake Superior. It just turned out to be kind of a transformational experience and something that, uh, turned out to be a great way to get a 50 mile training run in and something I decided I'd just do as long as I was going to run the Leadville 100. So I've done it every year since uh, 2012. Wow. So you just, no, you just kind of thought up the idea yourself. Like you didn't know if you'd even be able to run it backwards. Like the first year you did it, like, did you think like the, like, I didn't know if like the race officials would kick you off the course or something. Did you have like any worries about that at all? Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, you know, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I uh, I knew the route because I'd run it, you know, 12 times or so the other direction. So I, I think I pretty much knew how to get back to two harbors the other direction. But I wasn't sure if someone would stop me, uh, you know, up on the North Shore Highway. Uh, and they, they did have, uh, you know, police presence up there. But uh, everybody was really good. They just all were, I think, a little surprised to see somebody running the wrong direction more than anything else. And it's turned out to be a, a pretty fun event since then. Wow. So, so it's like you thought it up yourself. I thought I assumed because I know, and then I've talked about this on a, a few of our other episodes. I think on the John Weeks episode we talked about this, but there was a Dusty Olson who lives in Duluth, um, and he is the uh, he's Scott Jurek. Um, he's kind of mentioned in the Born to Run book and 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 in Scott Jurek's book, oh, the Dust Ball. The Dust Ball, yeah. And I guess his story was. Um, like he was out drinking before the the grandma's marathon till and then he like realized he was only going to get 3 hours of sleep and so he's like well he better not fall asleep or he won't wake up so he ran it and he was at the finish line so he ran it backwards um like you're describing and then i think he got back there a little early cuz then he like fell asleep on someone's front yard and then woke up and then and i think he wrote, ended up running like under a 3 hour marathon after all that after drinking and stuff which is a pretty hilarious story but so, yeah i had I hadn't heard that until after I'd run it a couple times and then actually ended up reading that book and, uh, you know, reading the story about uh, Dusty Olson. And uh, I've listened to him on a couple other podcasts since, and he's quite a character. But, yeah, he was certainly the first to do it. Um, and I, I think I was the first to do it sober, though. <laughs> well, that's got to be worth some points there. Is it? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> So now, um, so now you've done it ten times, and and, and um, I was looking on Facebook, Facebook, and it looks like you have you have others that run with you now. Is that correct? Well, the first, uh, I think it was the first three years, I didn't have anybody joining me, and and really the purpose was not to make it into an event. It was really to get, you know, I wanted to do Grandma's Marathon, and I wanted to get a fifty mile training run in, so I'd have a chance to finish the Leadville one hundred race, um, but. It was one of those that people started, you know, showing some interest in it. And a lot of people were saying they wanted to do it and that they were going to go join me. But then I'd show up at three in the morning uh, in downtown Duluth and it was like crickets. I was there by myself. Uh, but finally, <laughs> in the fourth year, a guy named Ben McCaw uh, from uh, in the Chicago area came up and joined me. And uh, so he was the first to do the double with me. And then the next year, nobody showed up. And then the year after that, I think we started to get a little bit more traction. So the year that uh, John Weeks uh, joined us, uh, I think we had like eight runners that year. 
And uh, we have had, I think that was the most this past year, we just had three. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's not like a standing room only event. And uh, I, I don't expect that it's going to take off any further in the future. But if anybody ever wants to come up and join me for the double, uh, we start about, oh, probably 2.30 in the morning on race day. And uh, <laughs> you can get two marathons for the price of one. So there's the pitch. <laughs> and you don't need transportation to the uh, starting line like the other people. No, you don't have to endure that long bus ride. You know, that's that bus ride up the North Shore is just brutal because you're, you know, it, it takes so long and you're driving so far. And all you can think about is, oh my God, I got to run all this way back to Duluth. So actually, it's kind of a, it's a nice way to release the stress of a race hmm. uh, by getting your race done before the race starts. Yeah, that's, yeah. And, and I've heard other, like you said, other runners that have trained, um, been training for ultra marathon, 100 mile runs, what they'll do is they'll go run all night and then they'll be registered for a marathon. So then they'll show up at the start line and then they'll run the marathon after they've been running all night, just kind of the train for that, you know, that 100 mile run, you know, where you have to run all night anyways. So uh, ultra uh, runners are weird. I mean, they'll, they'll find everybody's <laughs> got their own kind of secret <laughs> recipe. But I think a lot of it boils down to a couple things. And one is, like you just mentioned, uh, you know, if you're going to do a 100-mile race, unless you're an elite athlete who's going to finish in 14 or 15 or 16 hours, you're going to be running through the night. And so having that experience of knowing what it's like to run during a time when you're normally sleeping, your body rhythm is, you know, saying you should be uh, horizontal rather than vertical is really good. And then the other piece is just really being able to stay on your feet for like eight to 10 hours mm -hmm. uh, where it's not even really so much about speed at all. It's just moving forward for eight to 10 hours so that you just get used, your body gets used to, you know, just con constantly moving forward for a long period of time. Yeah. I, I think there's something to that. Like, um, like the last, mar the last twin cities marathon I ran was my fastest. And that's when I had switched over. I was working night overnights and so I would go do my, you know, 16, 20 mile run in the morning, you know, because it gets hot in the afternoon. I would do it with zero hours sleep, you know, get off work, you know, and yeah, I'd go run 16, 20 hours or miles, not hours. I'd run, you know, like my training runs without any sleep. And that and then I had my best marathon because um, I think it's just going through the the harshness of um, I also listened to a podcast about speed walkers and they, they were doing a study where they had them. They were depleting where they weren't eating any um, carbohydrates at all. And then they had another group that was eating all the carbohydrates they wanted. And they actually had them sitting next to each other for some reason or whatever. And then um, and then the group, and then they found, they did a study and the group that was depleting did better, but they found out it wasn't a physical thing. They said it didn't really matter that they're skipping carbohydrates. They said it was just su such a hard thing for them to do that they figured they got better just because, you know, putting them th through that stress. So I think there's something to, you know, putting yourself through that stress that, um, you know, makes it easier. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. Or, you know, you, you kind of just described that the Hawthorne effect where, you know, they just changed something and it caused a performance improvement. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's very, you know, specific to each individual. It's kind of like we were talking earlier. It's like shoes, you know, it's shoes are like, that's a religious question. It's just here to come up with what's going to work for you. And uh, yeah, everybody's just got their own thing that's going to work for them. Awesome. So now, so you've done this at Duluth 10 times and I know, 
I was looking at, I've seen you run other marathons. Have you ever done it at a different marathon besides Duluth run the double like that? No, I haven't. Uh, I mean, I've done a lot of ultra marathons and I've done a lot of training runs that have been, you know, well over 26 miles. Uh, but grandma's is just, is the only one I've done the double at. And it's because it's really been for a very specific purpose. I want to run Leadville and I need to be trained up for that. And I want to run grandma's and it's just a really great way to, you know, combine a double marathon to get your 50 miles. So no, uh, you know, the other marathons that I run for the most part, uh, are more serious runs. You know, like if I go to Chicago, it's generally cause I'm, well, first of all, I love running Chicago. I think it's a great race uh, and it's nice and flat. So it's a good place to get a good time. And I'll use that one to try and qualify for Boston. Uh, and if I don't make it into Boston at Chicago, then I'll usually have a backup in January or February, uh, Napa Valley or New Orleans or something like that to try and get a qualifying time. Uh, so the other marathons are, are a little bit more specific to, you know, trying to run a good time uh, versus uh grandma's which is really just kind of getting eight to ten hours on your feet and get 50 miles in awesome so now so now i was reading now did you do leadville this year yeah i've got leadville coming up in august it's august August 21st uh and this past weekend it just did uh the silver rush 50 which is out in leadville actually did that with my son and a couple of friends here from st louis uh so that's a 50 mile race up at altitude uh you start at uh, ten thousand feet or so and you get about seven thousand eight thousand feet of vertical climb over the course of 50 hours on some pretty technical trail so it's a really good training run for leadville uh the leadville 100 uh so that was fun this past weekend other than it's going to cost me a new phone and uh, five (laughs) stitches in my right hand from a tumble that i took so um i've had Lots of injuries from ultras over the years because I'm fairly clumsy, broken ribs, broken noses, skin, knees, elbows, and all that. But this was my first trip to the emergency room to get stitches. Whoa. So I don't know. It's, I'm a little bit proud of that, uh, that it's taken this long. Wow. Yeah, that's, and, that's, and, and that's tough terrain out there. Um, and now, and you've, you've run the Western States also, is that correct? Well, I ran about two-thirds of the Western states. Uh, the I've probably done around 80 or 90 marathons and ultras, and uh, Western states in 2017 was the only DNF that I've ever had. Wow. So I made it about 60. It was a little over 60 miles, um, but I went into it with uh, having had a diagnosis of a torn hip labrum and a, a busted uh, iliac hip bone, basically, and uh, had very little training going into it. But it's so hard to get into Western states. It's like, you know, you probably shouldn't run it, but there was no way to defer. And uh, I wanted to go out and, and give it a shot. And it just, uh, it didn't work. But boy, I got a, a good experience out there. And I'm, I'm so glad I did it. It was, it was amazing. And I definitely want to go back someday. I've, I've got uh, some redemption to, uh, to find there. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. It sounds like it. So, and then, well, so, so you were kind of injured on that. I always wanted to ask somebody that's run both, like, uh, is Leadville, uh, how do you compare them in difficulty Leadville to Western States? I know you're injured in Western States. So, but um. yeah, I think there, if you take a look at some of the statistics on it, I think people would say, or the experts would say that they're pretty much even in terms of level of difficulty. Uh, but I think it depends on just kind of what your strengths are as a runner. 
Uh, lead bill has a, a lot more altitude, so you get up to 12,600 feet, so you don't deal with as much of that at Western states. Leadville also has more um, elevation climb up at altitude, which makes that tough. Uh, but Western states has got uh, a lot of downhill, which is not a problem for me, but they have the canyons, which uh, are historically uh, you know, just always hot during the time when they run the race. So on this race that I ran in 2017, we had kind of the, the really diverse uh, type of weather. First of all, you climb up uh, at altitude in, in Squaw Valley and for several miles you're running through snow and then you go <laughs> into the snow melt off uh, melt, which is just all mud. And then you get into the canyons where it's 106 degrees and no wind movement. It's just like a blast furnace. And uh, it's, you know, it's just, you have to be a really great runner that can handle all sorts of conditions to finish at Western States. So, you know, hats off to anybody that's done it because uh, I would love to give it another try, but it is, a, it's a tough race. They're both tough. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Cause I've never, that's interesting. I've never heard the comparison. I always figured Leadville just because of the altitude might be tougher, but I just, yeah, you're right though. I, I've, all the books I've read about Western States 100 is just that temperature change and that, that um, you know, extreme hot temperatures is what I always hear everybody mention that one segment. Yeah, and for Minnesotans, you know, native Minnesotans like you and me, you, when, you know, it's the middle of summer in, uh, you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and if it gets up to the mid-80s, you know, we're all complaining about how hot it is. Uh, <laughs> but you know, then take us and, you know, with all that Scandinavian blood up there and throw us into 106 degrees down in California. And I mean, it is really brutal. It's a dry heat, but you know what? It's still 106 degrees and you're trying to run in it. And it's, yeah, it's, it is one of those experiences that is just God awful. And I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> and then like we were discussing how we both uh, read that Scott Jurek book and, um, I guess like when he, you know, he ended up winning, what was it? Western States seven years in a row, I believe. And, um, like his first year out there, they were, they were just ridiculing him from being from Minnesota because they didn't, you know, nobody back then, only people from out there would win because they were used to the altitude and the train and everything. So that's pretty crazy. And then, and then going back to grandma's, I think he had run a, a 242 at grandma's and they were, they were mocking him about it. For being so, I wish somebody would mock me about running a two forty two marathon. That would be great. But <laughs> it's like Jim Walmsley. You know, Jim Walmsley's never gonna you know go to the Olympics and uh, run the the uh, Olympic marathon because uh, he's just not fast enough. But you know, he's the fastest guy running hundred miles at Western States now, or pretty much any other race. So yeah. it's just a it's a different uh, performance set that you have going into it. And, and Jurek is you know absolutely amazing at those distances. That yeah, that's just like we said before. It's like different shoes, different running styles for the different distances. It's just amazing how some people excel Usain, at one. Yeah, Usain Bolt is probably not going to win the hundred or the uh, Western States one hundred. <laughs> that's but that's Scott true. Not going to win the hundred, you know, uh, meter dash either. So yeah, with the, Usain Bolt, and even even if he did finish, I don't think you'd want to be tied with him with about a hundred meters left to go because he'd probably beat you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He'd probably yeah. beat you there. So so. What's one, it sounds like you've done all these amazing events. What's one crazy thing that you haven't done yet that's kind of on your bucket list? Oh, you know, 
obviously finishing Western States is one that's on my bucket list. Uh, but beyond that, um, boy, that's a, that's a great question because I kind of took care of uh, one of my bucket list items last year. And we were talking earlier about how COVID has caused people to, you know, change what they do and try different things. You started up this podcast and uh, I have been, had been thinking for years about running the entire Katy Trail in uh, in Missouri. The Katy Trail is a rail to trail path that runs from just south of Kansas City all the way to north of uh, St. Louis. So just uh, you know, east to west, or, or vice versa, on an old railroad bed uh, that they turned into this you know beautiful, basically bike path, uh, running path. And I've run parts of it before and just always kind of had this dream of what would it be like to run that whole thing? And it's 200 and it's advertised as 237 miles, I think, but I found out it was 245 miles long. Wow. <clears throat> so last year when COVID hit, um, I work in the hotel business and uh, it, the hospitality industry was obviously decimated by uh, COVID as many other industries were. And uh, w- there was a lot of, you know, personal drama for employees, uh, frontline hospitality workers who, you know, no longer had hours to work because the business had evaporated. And so I decided to combine this, uh, you know, bucket list dream that I'd had of running the entire trail with a fundraiser to see if we could raise some dollars to get into the pockets of those frontline hospitality workers that uh, were not working because of COVID. So Memorial Day weekend of uh, 2020, uh, I uh, started out at the start of the uh, in Clinton, Missouri, uh, on a Thursday morning, and started running and ended up finishing the entire 245 miles of the Katy Trail in a fastest known time at that point of three days, 14 hours, and six minutes. Wow! And that was fun. That was good from a personal standpoint i really enjoyed it but probably uh, more satisfying than anything else is we were able to raise over forty two thousand dollars that ended up going into the pockets of those frontline hospitality workers that had been dealing with so much uh, of the issues of you know not having a paycheck uh, and not being able to make people happy through the work they did in hospitality so that was gratifying so I don't know oh. to answer. That's a long answer to a short question, but uh, I'm not sure what the next bucket list item is, other than you know being able to continue to do what I do and hopefully get into Boston more and run Chicago and get back to Grandma's every year and do the double and and uh, do Leadville as long as I can. Wow! Yeah, that that yeah, that sounds um, those are all some great runs there. Wow! So you got that fastest known time. We could we could have done a whole podcast just on that alone. That was pretty amazing. Um, so what did so did how often did you sleep when you did that three three day run uh i the first section that i ran uh, i did 115 miles and at that point uh, it was probably too far i learned a lot from doing it uh but i don't think i'll ever do it again i'm not sure my wife would let me uh (laughs) and she was uh, along the whole way and and just super helpful she's a, a great uh crew boss uh, but after 115 miles, I was just, after 100 miles, actually, I was just kind of stumbling uh, down the trail. I was uh, hallucinating. I was just just punch drunk and uh, ended up getting about three hours of sleep at that point and <clears throat> wondering, you know, how 
how long can I do this? Because I mean, I've never run more than 150 miles at a time in my life. And I'm not sure what's going to happen. You know, once I get out of bed, can I even move again? And it really surprised me that just with three hours of sleep, I was able to get back on the trail and move again and start running. Uh, so I ended up having three uh, sections of sleep, I guess. Like one was three hours, one was like an hour and a half, another one was three or four hours. And I think actually if I ever did it again, I could probably do it with a little bit less sleep than that. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing what a little bit of sleep can do. I mean, you obviously you need more sleep than that, but just a little bit can really make a big difference. Uh, so, and you think uh, cat naps really? I think, um, and you know, it's kind of funny because it was the fastest known time at the at the time, and I beat somebody else's record who had set it. I don't know several years before, uh, but just kind of the power of. COVID. COVID was, you know, the whole period of COVID was awful, but there were some positive things that came out of it. You started your podcast, people going out and doing things that they had always wanted to do and had never done before. So within a few months, there was like two other people that beat my fastest known time on the Katy Trail. Oh, wow. So obviously there are others that have been thinking about it and, you know, good for them. That's fantastic. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. So let me ask you here, Eric. Um, so this is kind of a question I ask everybody. Uh, what inspires you? Like who or what inspires you? Oh, you know, I love the running community. I, uh, I'm inspired by the other runners, the, the friends that I have, the people that I see out on the trail, and not not the fastest ones. I mean, it's it's always fun to see people that, you know, can perform at a really super high level, but I, I'm really more inspired by the people that that get out and try and do things that maybe they didn't think they could do, and they surprise themselves with, and, and, and again, not necessarily <clears throat> because they're super fast or anything, but just they are uh, working towards finding a new potential in themselves that maybe they didn't know was there. And so I, I love being around the ultra runners. I love being around the marathoners. I love being around people that are going out and just, you know, trying to work towards their first 5K. I just think there's so many positive benefits of what we do uh, that uh, impact the whole rest of your life outside of the exercise part of things with relationships, with your own self-confidence and what you can, you can accomplish outside of the running community. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but oh, that was um, perfect. Yeah, yeah love, love being around other runners. Yeah, it's a great community, and that, that's kind of one of the things I'm trying to foster with this podcast is uh, kind of reaching out, giving everybody the voice. I know there's a lot of national podcasts that have like the the Scott Jurics and the you know and the Chris McDougals and all the famous people, and I, that's why I like this podcast, just getting the people that you, otherwise you won't hear their voice. Um, so I'm glad I got to hear your voice today. Um, so I think we're good, Eric. Is there any, like, if any of our listeners want to reach out to you, do you have any, like, uh, Twitter or uh, a blog or anything you want to promote at all or not? Um, well, I have a blog that's, like, three years old that hasn't been updated. But if anybody wants to go look at some um, race reports from Leadville and see what that experience is like or pick up some videos 
uh, I've taken a lot of videos, like every grandma's double, I've done a video of it just primarily because I generally don't remember <laughs> the second half of the race. So it's uh, for personal purposes. But if you go to YouTube, uh, you can look up Eric Strand and uh, you can find the channel there and see a bunch of uh, videos from Leadville and from Grandma's Marathon and Boston Marathon and stuff like that. And that might be fun. On Twitter, uh, I'm at uh, at lead feet or my lead feet at my lead, my lead feet and i'm on instagram and i can't remember what it is it's again something with lead feet um and yeah on facebook that's about it so yeah come on along it'd be love meeting other runners awesome yeah and i was i would suggest people look you up because i was kind of looking it looks like you do a really good job with the video do you find that hard like video um, like I did see where you're slipping through the mud at, at Western States. Um, like you, you're running this race and then you get the, pull. I don't know if you use a GoPro or what, but does it, does that kind of hamper you at all? Or is it easy to do for you? I have a, a relic of a camera that I use that <laughs> is made by Kodak. I don't know Kodak even in business anymore, but it is a, they, they did this uh, this camera that was shockproof and waterproof, and both of those things have come in really handy when I take them on the trail. Uh, <laughs> so I use that; it's really easy to use. You press a button and it starts taking video, and uh, you know I take a lot of bad video and then try and piece some of it together to tell a story of what the race was like. So it's it's really not hard to do. It kind of keeps my mind off of the the pain or the difficulty of the run. It's really nice to to include some other people in the story along the way and just helps remind me of, uh, of the experience down the road and maybe, you know, get some other people to the point where maybe they want to join us. So maybe there'll be a few people that listen to this that want to uh, join me at 2.30 in the morning at the finish line in uh, Duluth for the start of the uh, next uh, Grandma's Double in uh, June of next year. So uh, maybe I'll have to take you up on that. I'll see how I, because I do want to run Duluth next year. I've actually never run it. You know, I'm a lifelong Minnesotan, and so that's a shame that I've never, never run Grandma's. And um, and a lot of my friends went this year, and they just had a great time. So I'm, I want to run it next year. I don't know if I'll be up to the double, but that gives me a goal to shoot for. Maybe I'll see you at the meet you at the finish line. I was going to say start line, but I guess you meet at the finish line. So <laughs> Yeah, well, like John Weeks, you know, it took a couple of years for John to work up to it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have said they wanted to do it and then they eventually show up and it's it's great to meet them. And, uh, you know, you can just run your own pace. We don't have to all go together if, if you don't want to. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to experience the course backwards. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Eric. This has been a great talk, and um, it's just awesome. And it's, I think everything, you know, this podcast is about inspiring people, and um, I see everything you do is just, um, you know, a crazy level of inspiration, and, and I like the fact that you went and got that charity for the front line, you know, the people in the hospita hospitality business and all that. You're really having a tough time through this COVID experience, and, uh, you know, like I, like you said, it's a community and um, I think it's re really great, and it sounds like you're re really doing a great job of bringing the community together and inspiring everybody. Mike, I look forward to you and I going on a run one of these days, hopefully up in Duluth for 52 miles. Yeah, uh, you know what? I I'll make that a goal. I, I can't s swear I'll do it this year, but I'm definitely going to make it a goal. <laughs> Let's do it, my friend. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Um, 
Thank you, Eric Strand. I hope you, everybody listening was as inspired by him as I was talking to him. Uh, his stories are great. I love the fact that he raised money for charity for the frontline workers. And, you know, in this time of COVID, where a lot of frontline hospitality workers and other workers have been affected by such things. And I think it's great. And he's really inspiring. And that's kind of today's motif on this episode. I started the episode out with the song, I Will Dare. And Eric's definitely daring. He's daring to go push his body, go out and do stuff. Uh, he went and ran Western States injured and he, he didn't finish, but he dared to get to the starting line. And that's what I'm talking about. I haven't done one of these episodes in a while, so I'm sorry I'm going to talk a little cross-country skiing here in July as this episode drops. But last every year I try to ski every season I try to ski 60 miles and you may be saying 60 miles doesn't sound like a lot Mike and you know what I agree with you uh first of all I agree with you second of all uh get to mile 48 and say 60 miles isn't a lot but anyways every year I try to I have this goal and why do why is it 60 miles because every year I ski 60 miles if I go on summer vacation for two weeks I ski 60 miles if it doesn't snow, and that's the biggest issue in Minnesota, we all know it doesn't snow anymore. If we get no snow, I ski 60 miles. If it snows a ton, I ski 60 miles. If I'm working nights, I ski 60 miles. If I'm, I think everybody gets my motif here. No matter what, I always get between 58 to 61.4 miles. It's it's always 60 miles right in there. So this year, I was having a great winter and spring. The snow was great, and I could see I was going to surpass my 60 mile mark. In fact, I got to 52 miles, and I went out to ski in a nice 10-mile trail um, out in Lone Oak or Umore Park. Excuse me, Umore Park is a park I talk about a lot on here because nobody else is always out there. I knew I'd have the whole place all to myself, and I go, okay, when I get to mile 8, I will hit my 60, my 60 miles for the season. It, it's a warm April day. The snow's great, but it's warm, and it's melting in a hurry. So I know I got to do it. I got to do it now or, for, or it's gone forever. My chance to get my 60 miles that I always get. And I go, I'm going to get it at mile 8.2. And they have the mile markers out there. When you get to mile 6, mile 7, mile 8, whatever, they have a big mile marker and they're accurate. They're pretty accurate on the GPS. So I go, when I get to mile 8, um, that's when I'll be at my 60 miles. And I go, oh, actually, it's going to be 8.2 miles. I'll be at 60 miles. But I'll celebrate at mile 8. That's foreshadowing folks that's that's going to come back to play later in the story so um so i go out there the snow's beautiful it's warm it's a warm april day you can tell it's the last day of skiing but the snow is beautiful and i pull up on that eight miles sign and i see that that i've gone eight miles i go yeah my 60 miles so i raise my arms in a v Sorry, I just sorry for being over dramatic there. I just I, I just wanted to hear Pearl Jam at that time. Sorry. Um. So yeah. So I'm at eight miles and I, I've hit my sixty miles. And then um. So I I continue skiing. The snow's still pretty good. There's some deep woods to my right, and I have to take a right a blind right hand turn. Right. So I, I keep skiing after the eight mile mark. I get about two tenths of the mile, and I go around the blind corner. And I shit you not, the snow is gone. It's a green carpet of grass. 
the sun had been hitting this open cove and and then that's when it hits me I really didn't get my 60 miles at 8 miles I got it at 8.2 the exact spot I'm standing on are you kidding me you cannot make this up at my exact 60 mile threshold that I have such trouble reaching every year I get green grass where there was beautiful snow <sighs> so I mean I'm over exaggerating a little bit I mean what I simply did was kick my skis off I walked across 200 yards of grass which is a lot of grass to walk in ski boots carrying skis and I plopped my skis back on and I got and then I finished that 10 miles and then I even skipped over to the county park whitetail woods and did so I think in total I went 15.4 miles and I got like uh, 7.4 miles um, so I'm at 67.4 for the year so I went over my 60 mile mark and I do it for calendar year so um, that means I still have November and December of this year um, if there's some good snow <laughs> I'm just kidding we all know it never snows in November and December anymore in, in Minnesota but if it did snow in those months I could still add to my mileage so this what I'm trying to say here is we cannot take when we go running when we go biking we cannot take any little step for granted every little tenth of a mile sometimes you go out running three miles um, you wanted to go out running five miles you end up running 2.9 and you have to quit because you have an injury or you just don't have it in you don't take those miles. Those miles still count. Don't take them for granted. Every little step you take. I've been running barefoot. Um, I just listened to a podcast where a guy's walking around New York City barefoot. And he's like, you know, you can tell when you're going uphill. He goes, when you're wearing shoes and you walk around, you can't, you barely notice the hills. When I'm running barefoot, I don't take a single step for granted. And um, if you dare to do these things, you're going to fail. I fail at getting 60 miles. I thought I was going to fail this year. But if you dare, you can get there. And that's my motif for today. And um, join me. I'm going to start putting out episodes. This was the first episode of season two. I got, I'm got. i going to talk to some race directors here in the future, uh, some interesting people. So please listen. I hope this motivates you on your run, these stories I'm bringing to you and these inspirating, inspirational people. Um, I hope you're having as much fun listening to it as I'm having it. This has been Twin Towns Trail Talk. Uh, I have other podcasts. Uh, the 70s versus 80s. That's kind of a that's a funny one. It's not so inspirational. It's kind of funny. We talk pop culture. Uh, we talk Brady Bunch. We kind of goof on it and stuff like that. And I have another podcast on the Hold Steady, which is a rock uh, indie rock group you never heard of, but they're uh, really true to my heart. So listen to those if you have a chance. Um, we will have another Twins Towns Trail Talk coming up soon. Thank you. Have a great month. <laughs> I'm